Dear investors, if I tell you your return on investment potential can be more than twice as much per dollar provided you invest in diverse teams, would you be more mindful of the investor profile? If I tell you supporting women entrepreneurs can boost the economy by $5 trillion, would you be more mindful of your investment bets? Join us in this dialogue where we attempt to bust the myths and put forward a case for embedded win-win in reducing gender investment gap. The Winning Side, a series of dialogues about winning themes, such as diversity and inclusion, creating social impact and leading change. Welcome to the Winning Side Suite. This is your host, Sarah Hassan. And today we are going to talk women in business, more focused on gender investment gap. This is a two-part series. The first part would have been released by now. So I won't delay this any further because in this suite today, I have two wonderful guests. And one of them is a serial entrepreneur, while the other one is a serial entrepreneur. So what a perfect combination. However, both of them are come from a very privileged position because they are both female investors. And we, we brought them on to hear more about their view on gender investment gap. Our first guest is Yasreen Ibn Yahya. Yasreen is a director, advanced concepts and technologies at Imaset. She's an investor and charter member of Oxbridge Angels and chairs their investment committee. She's a serial entrepreneur in the space industry and has developed several innovative concepts over the last 15 years. Yastrin is a judge and mentor for startups and ambassador for diversity. She's the founder and chair of Women at Emerset, a women's network focusing on bringing forward the importance of gender diversity. In 2018, she was nominated as the leader of the year by Wintech Series Award and is a dear alumni of University of Cambridge. Welcome on board, Yasreen. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Our second guest is Jeanette Mason. Jeanette was named Harper Bazaar Woman of the Year in 2019, most prominent angel investors in 2018. She's a serial entrepreneur, angel investor, board member, and mentor for startups and co-founder of Capital T, a venture capital fund that invests in technology companies. She started and exited two international tech companies. She's a co-initiator of Inspiring 50, which is an initiative that aims to increase diversity in tech industry. As part of that initiative, she has published The New Girl Code, a novel for young girls, something which is definitely added to my reading list. Jeanette, is a board member at CODAM, advisory board member at Future NL, and a member of investment committee for Innovation Quarter and the supervisory board and on the supervisory board of listed companies ICT Group. Welcome on board, Janek. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Absolute pleasure. And we are here all set to be inspired by you both and hear your journey. So without much wait, I'd love to hear about Janek, starting from you, your behind the scene journey 
as a venture capital fund founder, supporter of startups and scale-ups? Yeah, so I started my first company when I was 23. Um, at a time where being an entrepreneur was not so cool as it is today. Uh, in fact, all my friends uh, asked me what, why I was starting uh, my own company. But that's something I've always wanted to do. I don't come from an entrepreneurial family or anything. It was just in my mind that I thought that that was uh, really great. And then I started another company. During the second company, I started as an angel investor. So how much value that first check had. Somebody said, oh, I believe in your plans. I believe in your ideas. And then also put money behind it that I wanted to give that back. And I also believe that when you're successful, uh, that's due to your own hard work, but also due to an ecosystem. Thanks, Tanek. Yastrin, please share your personal journey as a woman in STEM and your involvement, particularly in the Oxbridge Angels, please. As a woman in STEM, I uh, have always been in the, the space industry. So I'm an engineer in telecommunications and, and I've been focusing on innovation in space, working a lot with startups as well, coming up with concepts I've also developed uh, within the company I've been working with for. So I have been innovating a lot, have been engaged a lot with the entrepreneurship ecosystem and um, realized throughout my STEM education and career that I was very often between the 10 to 15 percent minority representation and that that number was going more and more down as I was going up in, in, the, in the ladder. As uh, Oxbridge Angels, uh, what I have been doing is uh, I've been leading so far the, the, I've been the chair of the investment committee of Oxbridge Angels. Oxbridge Angels is a, an investment fund in early stage startups. So we invest between 50K and 2 million. And we have created this fund and it's been officially launched back in uh, February 2020. And it's been done with a group of executive MBA we I have been studying with in, in Cambridge. And we've launched, uh, the 50 of us have been launching this uh, this fund, injecting our own money and uh, engaging with startups, uh, providing a lot of mentoring support, leveraging on our networks in our respective sectors, and really bringing forward as much as we can the, the depth of knowledge we have and, and share that with the entrepreneurs. And as a woman in Oxbridge Angel, I'm particularly careful in engaging with female entrepreneurs and, and going forward to them and telling them, once you're ready to raise money, please approach us. Very careful in the way they present their uh, case, sometimes a little bit either conservative or realistic. Someone uh, could uh, debate on that uh, in their numbers. So th these are kind of interesting challenges. So the difference about, about how men and women are pitching. So very careful about the whole diversity and importance of diversity and inclusion and, and equity in the way we approach a female entrepreneur in, in our fund. That's wonderful to know that you're out there doing that service for women entrepreneurs. In a study by Boston Consulting Group, it was shared that supporting women entrepreneurs can boost the global economy by $5 trillion. And while gender pay gap is very well documented, and uh, the gender investment gap needs a closer look. So, Janek, leveraging from your experience, what do you think is the economic imperative and social benefits for women-led startups. What is, for your experience, is the missing piece in the puzzle? Reports like this are super important, but at the same time, they are not. Because I think for the last like 10 years, we've seen research that show that diverse teams uh, perform better, uh, diversity leads to better financial success, but still progress is super slow. 
But I think the impact of uh, diversity is also in, in the way our society is uh, inclusive. And if you look at technology specifically, I think there it's extremely uh, relevant. Well, I don't know, countless examples where uh, a lack of diversity leads to uh, products and services that exclude uh, certain people, that disadvantage certain people or favor others. So uh, you have the racist uh, soap dispenser, the algorithm, Amazon that favored men over women, and you have the algorithm that people of color get heavier sentence. So there's, there's countless examples uh, there. And I think that that's an important thing to look at. So if you have a more diverse uh, tech workforce, you can prevent a lot of these things. And I think when you talk about the uh, venture side, it's important to realize that venture capital has quite a big impact on what our future looks like. So seven of the 10 most valuable companies of today, one day started with funding of venture capital. So basically VCs decide um, which companies can grow, what our future looks like, what products and services we use. And what you see is that around, depending on the research, around 2% of all venture dollars uh, go to female founders, a few percent to mixed uh, teams, gender teams, and people of color get even less. So uh, most of the money goes to white men. And it also has to do with how the venture space looks. So that's also mainly white men. And the point is that people are biased. It's a human thing. So you tr tend to invest in what you recognize, uh, people that look like you, uh, products and services that you would use. If the venture space is very homogeneous, they will invest uh, homogeneous. And you see that uh, more diversity on the venture side leads to more uh, diverse investment. So I think that's super important to change the future and not just to have more diverse founders get the opportunity to grow, but you also see that when uh, people hire in their own uh, networks. So if you have a really different uh, entrepreneur, a different backgrounds, they will hire in their own networks. So that teams will look different than others. When they are successful, they will uh, invest back in their communities. So instead of what you see today, the money flowing in a relatively small homogeneous group, there will be much more groups where that benefit from the value that's created in tech. So on a lot of levels, having more diversity on the VC side is, is super important. And then um, it's important to realize that it's not that easy to get into venture, to start a fund. You often already need to be rich because you have to do fundraising for like two years. While you do that, you don't uh, earn any money. So a lot of people cannot afford that. You're expected to invest your own money, but you can only do that when you have that. So by design, the uh, venture world is, is quite um, exclusive. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for having a special fund uh, that invests in emerging managers. So people with different backgrounds, and I think family offices can play a huge role here. They tend to often do a lot of philanthropy and a lot of investments. While if they would invest in emerging managers, they would do, do both. So the impact can be huge, um, but they can also make money at the same time. So, sorry, very long answer to your question. <laughs> no, it's like a very, very relevant answer. And interestingly, it's a vicious cycle, hard to break because you have to be rich and you have to be aware of your conscious bias. So there's a, there's a lot going on there to tackle. 
really. Yeah, but we, we um, do see change. It's just uh, slow. The way the whole venture world uh, works, it's difficult to change it uh, quickly because the current firms uh, can be more diverse. But then you also have uh, partnerships and uh, often only once every five years, new partners are added. So my big bet is on uh, emerging managers. Yeah, it's difficult to get funding for them. So I really hope that there's somebody that will say, wow, this is an amazing uh, purpose. Let me put together 10, 20 family offices and create the biggest fund worldwide for emerging managers. Make real change happen. That's a brilliant idea. And to anybody listening out there, that's, uh, that's a great opportunity to tap on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Zemek. And um, Yasrin, you've shared how you were contributing to Oxbridge Angels to advocate diversity and inclusion and coach uh, female entrepreneurs. I would uh, take a moment now and uh, I'll share a few myths and I want both your and Janek's view on it. So the, the myths are mostly to do with how to bridge the gap. And these are taken from a back of a study from the Boston Consulting Group. The first one is that women founders are subject to challenges and pushback. So basically, from a kitchen table to a STEM subject, I'd rather give a quote, really, that when I pitch with him, they always assume he knows the technology. So they ask him all the technical questions. So it's less likely that a female founder would be asked a technical question. What would you say to that? I would say like keep answering the question and like don't get impressed by the fact that someone is asking your colleague and, and actually having also an agreement within your team that uh, if it's a, a question you're, you're supposed to answer as the CEO of the company, you, you take over and you, and you kind of show why you have the credentials to, to, to answer that question. But uh, yeah, it does happen. And I did talk to female entrepreneur who confirmed that it happens to them. Jeanette, would you like to add on something to it? It definitely happens. And also one of the things um, women should be aware of is that they often get questions about the past and men about the future. And if you would answer them, I mean, the in the past, it's always uh, you've had challenges, it's smaller. And when you talk, can talk about the future, you talk about the vision. And the best way to handle that is to um, turn the question around and still talk about the future because then you can actually show your uh, vision and the outcome will be uh, different. And I think while we wait for structural change, it's important to, as a female founder, to be able to navigate, use them uh, in your advantage. That's some brilliant advice. So basically keep on pressing and pushing back and uh, make sure to focus on the vision ahead. And the second myth that I'd like to share is uh, handling criticism. I may well be stereotyping here, but the emotional quotient is a different level for male and female entrepreneurs. Most guys will come back at, at the situation and um, they'll say, you're wrong and here's why. Whereas females are more kind of more appropriate for that matter. What would you say to that? I think as a founder, you get a lot of criticism and a lot of notes. And I always say it's one of the superpowers of entrepreneurs that they can actually handle uh, that. But I also think that very often criticism, you shouldn't take as criticism because often it's well intended and you can use it to make your company better. But you really need to be careful what uh, advice you take and what not, and what is actually somebody that has the best intentions or somebody who is just 
trying to mansplain you. So make sure that when you don't agree, you also have the right uh, reasoning to do that, to give people a pushback. And I think that's something also you need to practice. The way I would do such a conversation today is totally different than 20 years ago. I think what is key is that you start talking about your company super early on to get that feedback because it's super valuable to be better, but also to learn how to deal with that, how to respond to that and to fine tune your own uh, story. Reaction is totally part of the entrepreneur's uh, journey, uh, whatever is your gender, and you have to be able to deal with with that in, in a very resilient way. Perhaps women tend to be a little bit more like taking it personally because of that perhaps highly developed emotional um, quotient. And, and so it's even more important to, to, to be sure you, you're talking about your business. This is not a personal criticism. It is, a, it is about the, the business. And, and if you get criticism, don't, don't be completely like uh, overwhelmed by, by it and, and be resilient and, and use that as a way of jumping back uh, and, and be even stronger. So, so yeah. yeah. To add to that, I think in general, being an entrepreneur can feel very lonely. Well, you, you might see other people just succeed uh, while you're struggling. And that's why I think it's super important for men and women to have a network of fellow entrepreneurs to discuss a lot of things with. Because when you do that, you will not just get great advice uh, about how other people handle it, but also you will feel more less alone because everybody goes through the same uh, stuff but mainly behind the scenes. So make sure that you have a strong network of fellow entrepreneurs Totally agreed. So the next one. Conservative pitch was an oversell. Men often overpitch or oversell goes the stereotypical statement. Yeah, and, and that that's, has been proven that women tend to be, some would say conservative, other would say realistic. Um, it depends how you see it. And I think um, venture capital investors have to be mindful that women are selling the vision uh, uh, and, uh, sorry, men are selling the vision and, and perhaps women are more into the numbers. And, and so it's very important to, to be mindful of that when, when you're making an investment decision and not uh, rejecting um, some funding opportunity just because the pitch has been a little bit downplayed. And it's also on the responsibility of women to be a bit more overselling, I would say, uh, to, to, and, and I mean, both sides have to work on, on, on themselves to, to make sure we get to a fair uh, investment uh, between different genders. Balance. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to realize that when you pitch with a, a VC, that VCs also have uh, their business model. And that's uh, to return their fund a few times. And to do that, a few companies need to return at least 10 times. So uh, they need the big winners. They need the outliers to be successful. So knowing that, it makes sense to make sure that you sell them that uh, dream and that big vision so that it makes sense for them to invest in you. And if you uh, don't feel comfortable building a company that way, then VC might not be the route for you. And I think every entrepreneur should ask themselves the question, is VC the right path for me? Because that's not the only way to get funding. VCs in general, they just expect you to scale rapidly, uh, a lot of growth, and, and that's just not for everybody. So that's, I think, a general question people should ask themselves and if they feel that's the right route it also makes sense to in your pitch talk about that big vision that's very true so know know who to kind of pitch to and yeah. uh, and find the right balance 
And uh, the last myth that I'd like to discuss is that the product mix and the socioeconomic class, and when I say that, I mean that male investors have less familiarity with the products and services that often women-led businesses may come up with. Research suggests that 92% of partners at the biggest venture capital firms in the U.S. are men, and they belong to a certain socioeconomic class, so perhaps they wouldn't be able to connect to that product mix or that, that class for that matter. How to best tackle that, really? I think it can be tackled from different perspectives. One is uh, having more female founders focus a venture capital fund or initiative to support women. Earlier this week, I was talking to an accelerator called Femtech, focusing on on technology for for women. Uh, and there's many, many, many. This is just one example, but there's many, many um, examples like that which which are focusing into this untapped uh, market that is poorly being addressed today. And and then it's also on the VC side, uh, having more female representation in the VCs uh, should hopefully allow um, VCs to be more open and more understanding the the pitch of the women that are bringing those challenges and and how they intend to solve them. So yeah, I think it goes again on both sides. Yeah, I think um, as mentioned, the diversity on the VC side is really important. The other thing that I think people uh, need to stop doing is go through warm intros. Um, because then you exclude already quite a lot of entrepreneurs and it's really difficult to get into networks where you're not part of. And I also think it's statistically impossible to assume that all the unicorns in the world are in your network. So um, from uh, people that are supposed to be super smart with um, numbers, uh, that's a little bit of a strange assumption. So I think banning the warm intros is going to be uh, super helpful. And also, I think asking investors to look a little bit different because somehow as women, we can see the potential in products for men. So why not the other way around? That's a very valid point. Right here, I'd like to ask the two of you, I mean, what is your advice to females who are on the on the flip side who are in a position to invest how do you combat imposter syndrome and is how do you figure out if being a vc or being an investor is for you uh, as a female because really one way to break the cycle that if you are in that privileged position you should come up and be a part of the system the, the way I'm trying to tackle it as part of Oxbridge Angels is, is perhaps a little bit um, creative. Uh, in other words, what we're trying to do is to, by being on the as a VC or angel fund and investing into startups, we, we have control over our the, the term sheet, right? Because we're investing, we agree on the terms in the term sheet. As part of that term sheet agreement, we make sure that uh, we have a board member and an observer. And we make sure that that board member and or observer is is obviously having the qualities that are necessary to support that startup, but also making sure that that observer, if he or she doesn't have uh, the all the, the, the capabilities required to sit on the board, that he or she will follow the, the, the board meetings for a year, for example, and after that year rotate and take that board position. And by this way, you create an academia almost, an Oxbridge Angels academia of future board members that are capable of sitting in different boards. And those people who don't have the wealth, who don't have, who have, who belong to minority ethnicities, who have uh, some gender, uh, are women, for example, have the opportunity they've never had 
before to create that wealth for themselves, to, to upskill themselves. And then suddenly we're creating a society that has new pool of people to tap onto to sit in boards of future companies. So for me, that's our way. We're trying to break that mold by bringing younger generation and all these diverse pool of backgrounds into VC world and the investment world. That's wonderful. And that comes back to the next point where she was initially mentioning of having or creating the right ecosystem for that matter. Exactly. To answer your question about imposter syndrome, I think women often have that uh, more or less. Be aware of that and basically get over yourself. So train yourself to ignore those uh, signs. And uh, one uh, trick to do that is to start accepting compliments. So women, when they get compliments, they play it down. So if somebody says, oh, you have such a nice dress, women tend to say, oh, well, it's an old one, which is really weird because somebody makes you a compliment and basically you tell them that they are wrong. So that's not very friendly. I got this advice. When somebody pays you a compliment, just say thank you. And that's super difficult. And every time I still need to bite my tongue to not downplay it. And when somebody says, oh, so great, all the things you're doing, to just say Thank you. I think that's just the first step. Such a brilliant tip. And the imposter syndrome goes away as you gain more and more experience. Back to my example earlier of, of bringing women in, in boards is by working on that muscle, suddenly you don't feel like an imposter anymore because you've had experience. You, you can back it up with real examples. If you talk about bringing an idea to an execution stage, Janek, if you were to propose a decision map for a female entrepreneur, what would you say is the best way to pitch diversity of thought? And feel free to refer a, a case-based example for that matter. Well, so first of all, I think uh, you see a lot of these articles um, about companies that got so much funding. And I think you shouldn't look at those because very often it's not about the deck. Uh, it is about the vision you pitch, story you tell around it, and you have to make sure that the other side believes that you are the right person to make that happen with your team. Then you need a team that actually can make that happen, or at least that can build a team to get there. And to get somewhere, you often need somebody in engineering, uh, you need somebody that can sell. So there's different skills or you must be extremely good uh, at hiring and you have uh, the facts to back that up because then people will believe that you will get there. So have uh, a vision, have a great story around that and the team to back up that you are the one that's going to make that vision happen. Have a diverse skill set and have a wonderful story ahead. Yeah, those things should make the other side believe that you're actually going to make that happen. It's not just about the story, but bringing it in such a way that it almost feels like, oh, I need to be part of this. Got to. So it has to have the right sellability factor. Have you heard about this? And this is something that I came across while having a dialogue with Ian Greaves, who is a NatWest woman in business lead. She mentioned that she attended a conference where it was highlighted that VCs are considering going more towards digitization and reducing the personal touch, focusing less on the pitch and more on the numbers. Is that a trend in the market or is it something you're aware of? I think that really depends on the face because when it's super early, there's not that many numbers to look at series uh, B or C, then uh, numbers are extremely uh, important. But early seeds and even series A, although series A there often is already uh, traction to, to look at, but 
seeds and pre-seeds, there's definitely no numbers to look at. So COVID-19 threatens to roll back all the gender equality and gender efforts back to, say, 30 years or so. So goes the uh, IMF report published in 2020. Yasreen, we want to know your view on, in the light of the pandemic, what opportunities and challenges do you see for women in business, for policymakers, for funders? It's a very broad question. This crisis is a little bit different from the financial crisis we had in 2007 or, or eight. Women are the most impacted in, in, in this case through COVID-19 because they are the primary caregivers uh, and the infrastructures that were used that used to be here to support women, schools, all the support system. Now women have to be uh, teachers at home uh, for homeschooling. They have to clean, cook, uh, and at the same time run their business and, and make uh, this big decisions about furlough, etc. And they're also the the community that is the most impacted uh, because they are the community that has been the most laid off because of the nature of the business they're looking after around retail, beauty, etc. COVID has heavily impacted women at a time where we were already in a situation where uh, a woman makes on average 80% of a man's salary, which in a sense means by mid-September, she should stop working because the rest of the year she's working for free. And this was before before COVID-19. And, and now the situation is, is probably even, even worse. There is an issue there. Uh, however, we still need to acknowledge that uh, the woman... Um, kind of uh, market is an untapped market. There are still a lot of things that can be done. And, and to look at it from the, the bright side, we see more and more women going into the entrepreneurship world. The reason why is bringing uh, flexibility. Uh, so flexible working has also changed. And, and during the, the COVID crisis, the working from home actually brought a new perspective into uh, the flexibility people were looking for. And, and that was beneficial for women. And so 40% of US entrepreneurs now are female. They also take control of their own salary. Risk associated to job is not anymore a problem because even if they get a permanent job somewhere, they are going to be the first community who are probably going to lose their job as well. So they might as well take control of their own destiny. And so those are all the reasons where we see a lot of change in the behavior of women. We see also during um, COVID, a lot of investment made uh, by the European Investment Bank or in the UK by Innovate UK, where there is fund available for, for female founders. And, and that's a quite positive things and initiatives that has happened. So as governments, I think... Uh, There should be kind of a focus in measuring the the female founders' representation and uh, ensuring that there is uh, female representations in board and things like that. And Germany, for example, is leading the way at the moment uh, on these kind of issues. From a VC perspective, ensuring we are investing into uh, female founders, that's more and more VCs, that are the young VCs, actually, the the new one, are more female represented. So that diversity is there in the younger VCs and early bit less in the older VCs. And so coming up with those metrics, creating a a community and a network where investors are gender conscious and bringing that awareness forward. I appreciate that. Um, Jeanette, I know it's a a very wide question, but maybe I should have said, if if you were to pin down on on the biggest challenge or the biggest opportunity for women in business. No, I think specifically talk about investing and VC. Then uh, one of the things, uh, as mentioned before, that play a big role is uh, networks. And what you've seen uh, during uh, COVID, 
uh, now that we cannot meet people and basically serendipity is gone that specifically affects women and people of color because we often need that serendipity to get into the networks and that decide whether you get funding or not so you really have seen that back there and and hit for a female founders i hope and i i know that hope is a very bad strategy that that once we get back to normal that that changes again but because we, we were starting to see a change and i hope we recover from this quickly and and get back to the trajectory we were on i think you very rightly said hope is one way out but from where i see it you both are contributing personally which is a step beyond hope and that's great it's great to see female investors come through because we need them in the ecosystem to bring the change and the two of you are actually doing that it was an absolute pleasure to hear your journey and your story and i hope there's a lot of taking back from there but as a parting thought what is your winning mantra don't be worried about rejection keep on asking and putting yourself out there ask for bigger amounts share the vision as the the kind of the credibility of your numbers uh, to venture capitalists i would say you have the power to change the world honestly you as part of a term sheet can influence with your money and you invest early stage in startups so you can shape the future of those companies and so having requirements around diversity of boards requirements about uh, looking at diverse team as one of your matrix in your decision criteria are uh, also very uh, important uh, parameters i would say to policy makers as well to make funding available particularly women are suffering and people of color are suffering from accessing to capital and so uh, making that capital available particularly to that community is is a very important step uh, so even the venture capital funds that are willing to take that risk quote and quote even though i do not think there is a risk um, um, are also supported by uh, government subsidies uh, in in their in their investment decision thank you and today your view Yeah I think um for female founders I think it's important to know that being an entrepreneur is the best thing there is um even if it's super hard work it's so cool to actually build something so and don't have too many doubts you will get into issues you will just solve them when they arise so please 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 go for it it's absolutely amazing well, for government I would say that um most governments are very important investors they often already play a big role in pension funds in vc funds in in a lot of places i think um you have a dutch saying and i don't know how it translate into english but basically it says who pays the side i think uh, from a government perspective but also other investors that invest in funds uh, you can demand change and you should because when it's proven that it leads to better results why would you accept from uh, the company you invest in or the funds you invest in that they do not focus on diversity. So I think it makes a lot of sense if they start to play a bigger role here. So brilliant. So and go for it and be the change really, yeah. Well on that note, thank you very much. I hope I and the listeners around here can be the change and uh, bring about the change in the ecosystem and it has been an absolute pleasure to connect with the two of you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Sarah. time to design create and build an inclusive club if you enjoyed this dialogue 
please do share this podcast episode as a care gift with your friends, family, and wider network. Do leave us a feedback in the comments section below and follow us on Instagram at the Winning Side Podcast. Till then, ciao ciao.